Hey everybody, welcome to Burke Reviews Movie Club. Um, it's me, John Burke. With me again, uh, only missed once, is Corey Starr. Woo! Hi. <laughs> um, <laughs> it seems like it's been a long time since I last spoke to you, but I don't remember. Did we record last Friday or did we record earlier? I That's a great question. I, um, I don't recall. Well, it does seem like a really long time, though. I guess we're used to talking to each other twice a week because of Top 5, but you were not on the last two episodes of Top 5, but you'll be back this week. Yes. Fear not, loyal listeners. There's probably not any for this one. I Well, you know, I'm sure we have some, and I'm not sure how many uh, would have been interested in this week's pick. Um, this week, we're going to be doing an extensive review of The Seventh Seal, um, which is a very old movie, I think. I want to say 57. 67. Okay, I was right. Um, well, and, I think it's 57, isn't oh, it? Oh, is it 50? Well, then I was very wrong. Um, I think so. But either way, uh, it's an older movie. And it's not. Uh, it's it's easily accessible, but not everyone would go through the trouble of getting to it. Um, I actually am still in the middle of my 14-day free trial with Filmstruck. And I got to say, I really want to keep it. There is a lot of movies that I want to watch on Filmstruck that I will not be able to buy anytime soon, but I can't justify keeping it unless I were to cancel another movie subscription service, and those are more liked by everyone else in my family. So, I'm I wonder a- if we could go Hapsies. <laughs> oh, that's something to discuss off air for sure. <laughs> um, yeah, because there are like the Criterion Collection is legit on that um, for sure. And then uh, even it's, just the Filmstruck so movies. And they have Filmstruck originals. I have not checked out any to oh, see if they're any good. Oh, I didn't know they do that. I didn't either. Um, so a question about this, because you and I have both expressed interest in Filmstruck. Um, is it every, like, is it only movies that Criterion owns the rights to right now? or? Well, there is the Filmstruck side, which has their own movie licensing. And then there's the Criterion channel, which is in Filmstruck. And... Every movie that I know is on Criterion that I've looked up, which is not many, but I've I've probably looked specifically for like 20 movies. All of them have been there. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, including one I added to my wish list that I will watch before uh, this, the trial ends is the Coen Brothers' Blood Simple, um, one of their only movies that I haven't seen and one that is extremely hard to find unless you shell out the money for the Criterion. And having not seen it, and I've, I mean... It's got a reputation that I shouldn't hesitate, but money is always kind of tight. So I'm trying not to drop, you know, $30 on a single Blu-ray. So with this subscription, I'm going to definitely watch it for the free trial. But I've watched um, The Seventh Seal, and then tonight I watched uh, The Apartment, um, which was uh, recommended by another podcast, Pure Cinema Podcast. And I I really liked it. It's a Billy Wilder movie, um, who is a director that... I am becoming a big fan of. I, I watched Double in, Double Indemnity last year, and now The Apartment, and I like both of them a lot. Um, the Apartment's kind of a romantic comedy, but there is a there is some darker tones in it that some things occur, and it's it's you laugh, you get really like sad at points, but it's it's great. Um, and that was on the Filmstruck side, though. Uh, the Apartment. It was funny because I had just heard about. The movie the other day listening to the podcast and then i went on filmstruck tonight they're like i want to see something tonight and it was popped up on their uh, their main screen i was like oh well there's a sign i'm gonna watch this so 
I was working on stuff for uh, back to school because our official day for our school is Monday. Technically, we've been back. Um, teachers have been back since last Thursday, but students came back yesterday. Some um, We had only ninth grade yesterday, only 10th grade today, and then Monday is our first actual day of classes. Weird. So um, I was getting some uh, icebreaker games ready, borrowing from my... Uh, one of my favorite podcasts, Doug Benson. You know, I, I started this last year. I altered some of his games to be like a, a way of just talking about movies within the class and then working as a team because it's group. Pro- it's like a group game. I that's how I adjust it because his games are not group games, but I adjust them. And um, this year, I decided to make it more a presentation, so I've done like a PowerPoint with it and stuff. So it's that was I was doing that while watching the apartment tonight, getting ready to record. Um, I can only imagine how you guys feel, but I can't believe that it's time for everybody to go back to school already. Yeah, it I went can't. fast. It went real fast. Yeah. And then my daughter is starting eighth grade, so oh. <laughs> it is uh, – well, she started eighth grade, I should say, yesterday. So, um, But she's happy so far. She likes her classes, and you know, next year she'll be coming to the high school with me, and that's crazy. <laughs> I can't handle it. <laughs> Again, I can only imagine how you guys feel. Well, last night, despite it being one of my first days back to work, um, I went out to an Orlando theater uh, to see an A24 critic screening of Good Time. Ooh. What? Yep. Um, I took uh, Ben from our top five movies um, with me, and I liked it a lot. Ben was a little more down on it than I was. Um, I loved Robert Pattinson, though. I was extremely blown away, actually, by his uh, performance in the film. Um it is an interesting story. I did have my first negative encounter with the, uh, I don't know what their position is officially called, but I'm calling them the screening host. Um, I'm pretty sure they don't work for A24. I, I'm assuming they work for some other company, maybe like a, a distribution company or something. Um, well, A24 is a distribution company, so I mean something for the theater. But I've, I've gone to like, I think, seven A24 screenings, and I've always had very friendly people. They write, you know, like, who who are you? I say my name. I'm on the list. No problem. Um, at the end of the movie, you give a, a quote, and then you're done. That's your obligation. And you're supposed to review the movie, which my review will be up tomorrow for a uh, good time. But, well, when you're hearing this, it was up yesterday. Um, but this woman uh, doesn't look at a list, first of all, but says, I'm not on it. So maybe she memorized it. Okay. Um, I pulled my phone out immediately. I'm like, well, I have the email from Craig uh, right here. Show her the email. Oh, okay, okay. I'm like, all right, no problem. She's like, okay. So I go sit down, but as I sit down, I hear her talking crap about them letting anybody in <laughs> to these screenings. And I don't. Re- I wish I remembered her exact words, but um, she's talking to another critic, just clearly running her mouth because I'm John Burke from Burke Reviews. Um, and while I, I'll admit, like, I didn't have to get permission to start doing this. I just decided to do it. And while I think I'm doing a pretty decent job, maybe I'm not. I don't know. Cause I know anybody can do this. And so theoretically, yes, a website that pops up in a day is not credible. Okay. But while some people choose to do this, she doesn't know me. You know, I have a degree in mass communications. I teach film. I, I'm not, I wouldn't say I'm an expert, but I'm, I've put a lot of time into doing this. Um, so I was a little ticked off. I almost emailed A24 to like complain about this lady. But I'm like, you know what? Fine. I'm going to let her have her moment. Complain and talk crap if you want to. It's fine. But um, I've not had... And again, I don't think she works directly for A24. I'm assuming she's like a middleman of some sort. But I'm 
I feel like, um, I feel like though they wouldn't want people that are coming to their events to be treated that way. Even if she doesn't work for them directly, she still represents them. That's true. And again, I could be, I might be a little defensive. She may, she didn't say me specifically. It just, you know, the context of the conversation seemed directed in my way. So I I like to be a little bit more understanding. And uh, I might have walked into a conversation like she might have stopped the conversation because I walked in. You know what I mean? Like they could have been talking about a guy at it because they were they had the person she was talking to. They had seen another screening the night before for a different company. So, you know, I may be jumping into conclusions about this, but nevertheless, um, I still enjoyed the movie. Um, It is shot extremely tight. Most of the film is in close up, which I think gave me a headache. I had a headache when I left and I can only attribute it to that Um, just because it's you know it's really tight and there is some stuff moving around quite a bit so um it may not have been that it may have been lack of sleep you know lack of caffeine who knows but um i did enjoy the movie i th- I thought it was very well made and um it's it's kind of a downer in, in some ways but in uh it's it's an enjoyable ride given the subject matter i feel like it probably would be my question for you is that I'm pretty hyped up for this one, and I want to see it really bad. Do you know if they're going to do like that super limited release like they did with Ghost Story? Because that would be a bummer. <laughs> I think mo- it's very likely. Uh, the directors are brothers, and um, one of the directors is actually playing the brother to Robert Pattinson in the film. Oh. And um, they're not big names. They've done a couple other movies, but... Um, I would expect it's going to get a, a relatively small release. It's I think the 28th is what it's uh, set to actually be their their version of wide, but I would be surprised if it's not if it's in small cities. Like I'm expecting it to be only in major markets. So you might get it though. You had Ghost Story, so I hate waiting that long. Like we used to just get all of the A24 movies like when they came out. They probably didn't run for very long, but I didn't have to yeah. wait a long time. That's um. So I've watched a, a few other movies, but I'm gonna just get into. Uh, what, have you seen anything other than Seven Steel this week? No, I have had no time. <laughs> I figured you've been moving and all work and all the other stuff. School. You're you got like a a whole lot going on this week. But um, well, let's get into our home video releases for uh, August fifteenth. Um, the first one on the list is The Case for Christ, which is a uh, Christian film. Um, that. Um, I'm going to go with Battleship Pretensions review, or at least Tyler Smith's review, that um, unlike some Christian films where it is a positive message, but a, it feels kind of like a um, home movie or a like Lifetime original, it's supposed to be a very well-made film. Um, it's directed by John Gunn, and um, an investigative journalist uh, and self-proclaimed atheist sets out to disprove the existence of God after his wife becomes a Christian. Um, my understanding is uh, it is based on a true story to some degree as far as, like, faith can be true because I think that's the premise he sets out as an atheist to disprove Christianity but finds faith in the process is, I believe, the story. Um, but that comes out on home video. Um, do you remember ever seeing the trailer for that or anything, Corey? I do. Um, I can't remember where I saw it, though. I feel like it was actually before another movie in the theater. Oh, it it, it had a theatrical run, and it, did, it didn't do excellent, but it didn't do poorly. Um, the next film 
is one that I'm kind of interested in checking out. One, because it's directed by Doug Lyman, who I like uh, quite a bit. Um, he's done some good stuff. He's done some bad stuff, but he did Edge of Tomorrow, The Born Identity. Um, this is his most recent film, The Wall, uh, starring Aaron Taylor Johnson and John Cena, which John Cena movies don't generally work very well, but um, it's a war movie. It's a very small film. I think it's only the like three or four actors in the movie. It's... Oh, wow. Um, it had a very small theatrical... Oh, I'm sorry. It's three actors. Uh, Aaron Taylor Johnson, John Cena, and Leif Knackley? N- I'm not 100% sure how to say that. but So, very small film. The premise is two American soldiers are trapped by a lethal sniper with only an unsteady wall between them. And it's just an hour and 28 minutes. Um, sounds like it'll be very intense. Uh, it has a 51, 57 Metacritic, so hit or miss with the critics. But... It's one I could see checking out. I probably won't rent it, though, but like if we're on HBO or something, I would watch it. Are you a fan of either of the actors, Corey? I was, um, no. I can't remember seeing John Cena in anything, and I'm not familiar with the other guy. You are. Um, Aaron Taylor Johnson is, uh, he's kick-ass in kick-ass. Um, he okay. is in Godzilla, the 2014 movie. Um, he's uh, Quicksilver in the Avengers Age of Ultron movie. Not in the X-Men movies. Um, that's Evan Peters. And what else is he in? Oh, uh, did you see um, Nocturnal Animals? I did not. Oh, you need to check that one out. But he's really, really good in that one. He was nominated for Best Supporting Actor in that. I thought you kind of liked that one. Um, Correct. Uh, but I still think it's a really, really good film. Um, there are some things that I that didn't click as well for me. But I definitely, I think I gave it Not Quite Golden, if I remember correctly. But that was a while ago. And yep. you know I avoid, <laughs> yeah. I avoid reviews. Um, also coming out, and this is one of the big summer movies uh, coming out on home video, Alien Covenant comes out on Tuesday. Are you uh, buying that one, Corey? I feel like I should because I have all the other ones. I even have that horrible one. Prometheus. But that one did – no! <laughs> I love Prometheus. Prometheus is still my favorite. I don't care what anyone says. I um liked Covenant. It was okay, but still I love Prometheus more. Sorry, guys. Not sorry. Um, yep. That is the direct sequel to Prometheus. Both are prequels to Alien, um, starring Michael Fassbender, Catherine Watterson, I believe, Billy Crudup, and Danny McBride, among other people. It's a, it's quite a cast. Um, I enjoyed the movie. I saw it twice in the theater. Uh, I'm oh, dang. probably not going to buy it um, anytime soon, but it's one I wouldn't mind adding to my collection. Just, again, like kind of like what you said, I have all the other ones, so... Um, and I did Black Friday. Yeah. Or Black Friday, like in a year when it's really cheap. Um, next up is a teen drama that came out in the summer as well that I enjoyed. I don't think it's perfect, but I enjoyed it. Everything, everything. Um, it's a teenager who spent her whole life confined to her home, falls in for the boy next door. Um, I can't say her name, but she was Rue in uh, Amanda Stenberg. Um, oh, I'm sorry, not Amanda. Amadala, maybe? Stenberg, she was Rue in the Hunger Games movie. Um, Nick Robinson, um, and I think that's the only people that are famous, but oh well. Um, my daughter and I went and saw that, and we both thought it was good. Not not, not amazing, not fantastic, but, but good. Serviceable, for sure. And we got one more that we're going to talk about. There's actually a few other films that I've not heard of that look like straight-to-DVDs uh, coming out, but I'm leaving those off the list since I don't have a whole lot to say about them yet. Um, but we got How to Be a Latin Lover. Oh. This looked really funny, and I didn't make it to the theater to see it, but it's directed by Ken Marino, who is a very funny actor, shows up in a bunch of stuff. 
Um, it stars uh, Eugenio Derbez, Selma Hayek, um, Rob Lowe's in it, Kristen Bell, um, McKenna Grace, who was in uh, the, the Gifted that came out, I think, a week or two ago. Um, oh. And then some older actresses, um, Linda Lavin, Ra Raquel Welch, uh, Renee Taylor. We got Rob Corddry in here, Rob Riggle, who looks like Ken Marino, Rob Hubel. Basically, everyone who's like in a lot of comedies, including Michael Sarah, shows up in this movie. Um, it looked very funny in the trailer. I heard mixed reviews. It has a 54 on Metacritic, but it's one I definitely want to check out. Um, the, uh, this guy finds himself dumped after 25 years of marriage. A man who made a career of seducing rich older women must move in with his estranged sister. And, uh, he like teams up to like teach the nephew how to be a Latin lover, hence the name. So probably a little silly, definitely going to have some inappropriate jokes in it, but it looks relatively funny. It did look funny. And that's your home video selections. Um, of those movies, I would say the best one to rent uh, is Alien Covenant. Um, if you're kind of into general sci-fi, it's not perfect. It has problems, but it's got a lot of good stuff in it, especially a terrific performance from Michael Fassbender. Um, Too terrific. I'm kidding. <laughs> that's good. That's a good joke. Um Let's look at what's coming out in theaters uh, this week, which is funny because I actually looked ahead a little bit. Yeah. And in like the next two weeks, there's like nothing in theaters. So, like this coming Friday is like kind of the wah, end of wah. the summer. The following oh, week, it's no. got like three movies where there's like nothing, um, nothing oh. of note. Like there's stuff coming out, but I'm just like, wow, I haven't seen any of this um, on anything. But this week we get two good movies in wide release oh. and one really awesome movie that's only in 14 theaters to start with but i'm going to talk about it anyways um the big one the one that i'm really excited about which i didn't even realize who is in it but it's directed by steven soderbergh stars katherine watterson who is an alien covenant uh daniel craig channing tatum sebastian stan uh riley keogh uh, who is in a bunch of good stuff hillary swank adam driver seth mcfarlane katie oh. holmes i mean we've got a cast here people um, and it's Logan Lucky. Have you seen the trailer for this, Corey? Um, I I have, and now I'm forgetting what it's about, but I remembered as soon as you uh, talked about Hillary Swank. Mm. Well, it is two brothers who are Channing Tatum and um, Adam Driver uh, tr attempt to pull off oh, a yeah. heist during a NASCAR race in North Carolina. Um, it looks a little ridiculous, but... It has an 81 on Metacritic oh, right dang. now. Uh, it, it, I've heard... Nothing but good things about this movie. It looks funny. Daniel Craig playing a, uh, a American, first of all, so he's going to have an American country accent. Um, blonde hair and tattoos. Very, very different from his James Bond appearance. Um, I am very excited about seeing this movie, but the only downside, the only downside is there's another funny movie coming out that weekend that I've also heard a lot of good things about, and it has two of my favorite actors in it, Ryan Reynolds and Samuel L. Jackson, um, not to mention Gary Oldman. Zelma Hayek, um, I think it's Zelma Hayek. Maybe I'm wrong. Hold on, where is she? Um, well, it's ordered really weird. I hate how they do this. Uh, Robert E. Grant's in it. Come on. Oh, oh, oh. Yeah, Zelma Hayek. There she is. Um, it's the Hitman Bodyguard. Hitman's Bodyguard, to be exact. Directed by Patrick Hughes, who I'm not familiar with. Um, but he has also directed uh, Red Hill. And The Expendables number three, that kind of puts a little damper on my hope. But um, nonetheless, uh, the movie looks really funny. When I first heard about The Hitman Bodyguard, I thought it was a joke. Um, and then I was like, 
oh wait there's a trailer this is a real movie this is happening sam jackson ryan reynolds uh i i i find both of these guys great the trailer looks very funny um i have a friend whose uh father works for a movie company and he went to um one of the conventions and they showed this film already there and he loved it um cr the metacritic score is a lot less than logan lucky it's a sitting at a 57 but oh. i think this is a movie that's just going to work for me regardless of what every other critic might think um, again, cause I, I find Ryan Reynolds humor, uh, very funny most of the time. And I like Sam Jackson in almost everything. So I'm definitely going to check that one out. Now I have to decide which one do I want to see first, Logan Lucky Logan on Lucky. Thursday or, um, the Hitman's bodyguard. I, I think I'm going to, it's going to leave it up to uh, time. Although now that I'm thinking, um, my daughter, uh, Logan Lucky is a PG 13 movie, which was shocking to me. Um, and Hitman's bodyguard is R. So I'll probably go see Hitman's Bodyguard Thursday night and then on the weekend go see Logan Lucky with my daughter who's interested in seeing that film. Um, and my, I think I can talk Kathy into seeing that one too because it's set in North Carolina. North uh, Carolina? And Channing Tatum's in it, who she's got a hot, the hots for. Oh, um, Now, here's the movie that I'm, the, I'm honestly the most excited about. Unfortunately, it's only supposed to be in 14 theaters. Um, so it's super limited uh, release, but I saw this at the film festival, and it was one of my favorite movies at the Whoa. festival. Uh, and it's. Are you? <laughs> I knew. Go ahead. Sorry, I was yeah. like, you're gonna say patty cakes, aren't you? I am gonna say patty cakes. Um, they have a poster at my theater. They oh, have a poster. I hope you get it, to see this. If it I goes, I hope I get to see it too. You have to go to the theater, Corey. Like you have no choice. If it shows up near you, in fact, you hear me talking right now and the movie Patty Cakes is playing near you, you must go see it. One, because movies like this deserve box office. But two, it is amazing. Um, it is, if you like Sing Street from last year, it's got that kind of hopeful vibe about it. But it's also grounded in a, a harsher reality than Sing Street in a lot of ways. And it is very much like 8 Mile. And um, you have uh, Danielle, hold on, Danielle, what's your... Danielle McDonald plays Patty, uh, the title character. She is a uh, a rapper in New Jersey, and um, you're she's white. She's a white girl, and you're probably thinking, "Oh, great, another Eight Mile." And that's not the reason it warrants the comparison. Although, yes, both feature white rappers. That is a coincidence to the point. It's the style of the the story that's being told. It is an underdog story, um, but she's really good, and the music that they put out in this movie is great. Um, it doesn't have any huge names, but it does have some familiar faces. Um, you, you'll recognize some people when you watch it. Um, I I was really into this movie when I saw it. Uh, I can't I can't uh, rave about it enough. It's funny though to me because it has a seventy one Metacritic with only eight critics. Add mine to that is probably closer to like a seventy two, because um, my score would be like in, in the high eighties, early or low nineties. Uh, but the IMDb rating is only 5.9, so something with the audiences that have seen it is not clicking. I don't understand what. Um, there's some really cool visuals in this movie, too. They do some surreal stuff um, to represent, like, her mindset. Like, there's a part early in the movie, she's walking down the street listening to a rap song, and she just all of a sudden, like, starts to float into the sky. And it's a, it, the way they show it, it's really cool visually. And then she's all of a sudden back on the ground with a car honking at her. Like she was never floating, but in her head, she was just being lifted up by the music, you know, and it's, 
Um, there's stuff like that throughout the film, and it's just great. And she's excellent. Uh, she really plays the role very well. There's a lot of relationship dynamics. Um, she has, you know, uh, a partner in the rap game who's like her uh, her Nate dog essentially. Um, he's the the singing guy. And then um, they meet a guy who does beats that like joins into the group. Um, then she has her mom's the relationship with her mom, which is very strange. She has a relationship with her grandmother that is very uh, close, but her grandmother's sick. Um, she's working a full-time job while trying to make it in the rap game, which isn't easy. I mean, it's just, it's, there's so much greatness in this movie. I, and we all know even how many women become successful in that genre. And then to add to that, that she's white too. Mm. I don't know. I I would love to see it. So I do hope that comes near. Yeah. And I, I really, I, I can't stress. I've been waiting all summer for this to come out because I knew it was supposed to come out this summer and I'm hoping it comes near me because I will go see it again for sure. Because I, I was glad to see it at the uh, film festival, and um, both my daughter and I saw it, and we loved it. It does have some bad language. Um, I don't think there was any nudity, although there's some implied sexuality, but it's not visible on screen, um, from what I recall. But um, I took a chance uh, and let my daughter come because it was at the festival that you don't usually get ratings at um, at that early stage. But uh, we both really enjoyed the movie. So, yep, can't stress that enough. That I think it's um, in the top three. It was in the top three from the festival for sure. Um, and it's still one of my favorites that I've seen this year, um, period. So, hope I'm not overselling it, but check out Patty Cakes if it comes near you. All right. I think that leads us to The Seventh Seal. Uh, we'll get right into this. The Seventh Seal um, is from 1957. A man seeks answers about life, death, and the existence of God as he plays chess against the Grim Reaper during the Black Plague. Um, movie stars, uh, a bunch of names that I'm not going to be able to say because they're all Swedish. Uh, Gunnar Bjornstrand, Brent Eckerot, Nils Pape, Max von Sydow, um, Bibby Anderson, Inga Gill, and I think that covers all the big names. Or all the major characters, at least. All right. <laughs> I now, feel like people should listen just for your pronunciations. <laughs> we should always watch foreign films. <laughs> um, I feel ashamed. Uh, director. I'm just kidding. Oh, no, I'm sorry. I, I know. Um, Ingmar Bergman, um, who also is the writer. Uh, director who I've heard so many great things about, and I've not seen any of his films until this one, which is why I picked it. It's a movie that intrigued me by the premise and... Um, I, while I've heard this is not the film to enter on the director, I just I, I was too drawn to the premise to not check this one out first. Um, but I'm going to be exploring for sure because I definitely enjoyed this movie a lot. Uh, this is our initial review. We'll get into spoilers in a minute. But Corey, what was your kind of first take on The Seventh Seal? Not what I expected. In what way? Like, what were you um, expecting, I guess? I guess I was expecting, I mean, given the subject matter, it takes place during the Crusades and the Black Plague, and, you know, um, this he's a knight, right? Um, yep, yep, looks like a, like a Templar knight based on his uh, uniform, but... My name is Corey, and I loved history, but apparently I didn't pay attention much. Um, I, I think I was expecting, like, a more somber tone. I mean, it definitely has a little bit of a somber tone at times. But I felt like there was more humor that it was hard to kind of be affected by the, you know, I don't know. 
Okay. Um, I mean, you, you have um, different characters represented here, and I think that plays into that. Like, the main character doesn't find much humor throughout the film, um, which is the knight. Um, but he definitely does find some, but it's through other characters. It's not just him that finds it. You know what I mean? Like, he uh, Antonius Block is our knight. Um, he is relatively somber throughout. Like, I mean, he is um, kind of torn. And, of course, uh, the film opens with him on the beach and we see you know him i thought he was dead at first because he's like floating in the water but he gets up so i guess the implications are they've just arrived home um and while he's packing up his stuff death appears to him and says i'm ready are you ready and he says my body is but my mind is not which is a really great response like yeah my body's beat up and ready to die but my brain's not there yet (laughs) like um and he challenges death or the Grim Reaper, to a game of chess. Um, they sit down to the board. He holds out his hands. You know, Death picks one hand, and he chooses a black piece, so he goes second, and the game begins. Now, it's not all going to just sit here, and that was something I was expecting it to be, them sitting, playing chess, and talking the whole movie. I, I Yes, I was kind of expecting them to be playing chess and to like get flashbacks, and that's what would kind of take us away from the game, but I wasn't quite expecting... The game moves with him um, as he's working his way to his wife's uh, castle. He's trying to get home to his wife, and um, throughout the journey, he, you know, he death will show back up, and they'll pick up their game. And that's essentially the film. Now it's set during the Black Plague, um, so people, you know, people are afraid of death. People are afraid of the like what the plague represents is the end of times. Um, and you get different characters with different kind of perspectives. And uh, from my understanding of doing some research, the film was written um, for Bergman to kind of work through his religious beliefs and him dealing with um, his old beliefs versus his current, at the time, uh, beliefs, which were more uh, realist and uh, I believe rationalist was the term that I I heard in my research, um, where you know he was no longer believing in an afterlife. And he was having a hard time kind of coping with that. And so you get characters that kind of represent all the different points of view of like religious beliefs. Some who believe who don't really believe, but they want to believe because they're afraid of the consequences. That's block. You have a character. Go ahead. um, Oh, something that I hear not often, but enough is um, I would rather kind of just in case like what's it Mm. hurting to do it, even if it ends up not being true. And uh, there's some characters that kind of maybe I would say Block kind of has that mindset, but I think his point he makes a point that like God would know if I'm not truly faithful, so there's no point in pretending. But he wants to see God. He wants proof that there is an afterlife, and he'll completely commit. But he doesn't like committing on a whim. And then you have his squire Johns, uh, who doesn't believe. He, he believes in the world he sees and makes the most of the life he has and because he, he believes that's it. Um, and then you have the uh, Joff, who is a um, entertainer. He's a juggler. He's a, an actor. Um, he not only seems to believe in, in something more, but has visions of these things. Um, he believes he sees Mother uh, the Virgin Mary walking Jesus, uh, baby Jesus. Um, he, he believes he sees... Uh, there's something else that he saw. Um, and then he sees death later on. I mean, there's, 
he he uh, that's kind of a spoiler so i guess maybe we should pause let's get into spoilers uh for the seventh <laughs> seal Corey, go ahead guys we're gonna spoil i already have the seventh seal so if you want to go watch it and then come back and listen go ahead if not full steam ahead i mean technically i didn't spoil it because i didn't say that's... when he saw death <laughs> That's true. The idea with uh, Joff is we're not really sure if his visions are legitimate or if he's just assigning like a spiritual or mythical element to what's in front of him. Because when he sees what he calls the Virgin Mary with Jesus, they walk out of frame where you couldn't see them anyways. Like he's not able to see them anymore. But he rubbed his eyes before they walked out of frame. And so when he looks back, they're gone. He assumes they vanished versus they just kept walking. Um, and and the second thing in the movie that um, doesn't he, he lies about seeing something and I can't remember what it was that he lied about and then he's trying to you know justify that to his wife that oh well you wouldn't believe me otherwise but I yeah. feel like that helped people not believe you <laughs> I don't remember what he lied about though that's interesting because um, I know the next the one where it, the movie seems to tell us he does have a, an ability is when uh, they're playing chess late. I think it's the third time they're they're sitting down for chess. Joff sees Death playing with Block, and no one else does. And that's the only time we get confirmation, at least once, that he can see things that no one else can see. So is it only Death that he can see? Or were all those things visions? It's an interesting uh, interesting idea. And then we also get, um, we get the, uh, the blacksmith, who has kind of a accept what's in front of you, um, accept what you're told, I think, kind of thing. Like, even with, like, he has a, he seems to have an element of faith about him that he believes in things. Um, and then the the character that I was most unsure of is the uh, the housemaid that, jo- uh, that John's, like, rescues from the one guy. I was very confused by her. And she never, because... she doesn't speak, right? Like, she doesn't say no. anything. Um, she so, she might utter a word or two, but it's never anything substantial. It's just like you know, yes or okay or whatever, you know. But like, there's some real like like at the end of the film, especially there's a real tight close up of her and like the fear in her eyes. And I'm like, what does she represent? She's got to represent something more. Like, does she just represent man's fear because she's always seems kind of afraid of everything, like ignorance maybe? I I I'm not sure. She it's she seems significant, but I couldn't quite place. what I was supposed to take from her. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I thought she couldn't speak for the longest time. And then at the end of the film, she says like a whole sentence. And I was like, what? (laughs) Well, (laughs) um, I watched this video on YouTube. um, I can't think of, I got to be better about writing down names. Uh, It's a guy does this. um, He goes in like extensive detail. I mean, he broke out some like, like there's some, uh, anachronisms which is like where the uh they do something in the film that that's because it's 1957 when they're making it but the film's set in the 1400s and so like some of the rules of chess that they use aren't accurate for the time like that the movie set in but it was for the time they made the movie oh um and but he he points all this out only to point out that if you pay attention, the, the pieces on the chessboard are never in the same place from each of the scenes because that's not the point of the chess game the chess game is a metaphor for partly for block, um, but also just for death, you know, like, um, 
Block is a knight. He tells Death while Death Death is pretending to be uh, like a priest, and he's giving confession to Death, but he doesn't know it's Death. That was crazy. Yeah, he tells him that he's going to use the knight and bishop like technique to beat Death, and then Death reveals himself, and he's like, "Oh my gosh!" But the interesting thing is that he is a knight, and the reason he's playing chess with Death instead of accepting Death is he's afraid of there being nothing else. So that's where the bishop comes in, the the priest, the ruler of the church. So that, like, right there, and these are not my thoughts. These are the video's thoughts, and I, I agree with, like, his points that he made, and that's why I'm talking about him. I wish I had remembered what the video was, but I'll link to it on our uh, our post for this one, though. So um, I apologize for not remembering here, but I'll make sure I have it on there. If you are as interested in this film as I am and you want to know some, like, some deep analysis, because I've only watched it once. I don't have too deep of analysis. I know there's a lot to take from this movie, though. That's why it's um, still prominent, you know, 60 years, uh, 70 years later. So, um, but then there's, uh, trying to think of some of the other things. Oh, uh, Death later will take his queen, and he, like, makes a point, like, I take your queen. And then at the end of the movie, Death takes his wife, his queen. Um, so, like, it was symbolic when he took the queen. He was saying, your wife's going to die, too. Like, there's all sorts of little things like that with the chess game that's more significant than the actual game of chess. Like, the game of chess is irrelevant to the big point of what Bergman's doing. And it's this, that, the struggle that we're constantly trying to outsmart death, you know? We try to eat healthy, we try to exercise, we try to do all these things so that we can live a little longer. And it's an interesting, are you riding a horse? What? <laughs> it sounded like a horse was like... No, I, there's something that is, it sounds like your beard is scruffing the microphone on my end. That's weird. I'm not yeah. close enough to the microphone for that. To I know. That's what it sounds like. Or like paper being crumpled. I'm huh. just sitting here on my bed with my cat, Max. It, it sounded like somebody was like racing, like a horse was like, it was like, but, uh, what what was what are your thoughts, Corey? I've been talking quite a bit. What were your kind of interpretations of stuff? I feel like you're much better at analysis. I can just tell you guys what I like. I have hit I some kind of weird it. video that is playing on my iPad. <laughs> Hang on a second. I don't know how I did any oh, of that. Okay. Okay, stop talking. All right, that was weird. <laughs> Apologize for that, folks. Weird. All right, sorry. What were your thoughts of the Seven Seal, Corey? Um, there, hmm, I thought, okay, there are a couple scenes I would like to talk about. There is the scene where, um, he's, he goes to the town, I believe, and there's a woman being held, um, because, is it because she sees Satan, or, I can't remember um, their exact words. That she was, uh, working for Satan, I think. They're basically, they're saying she's a witch without saying she's a witch. Um, and then that scene kind of caught me off guard because he's asks her about him, about Satan, and he doesn't get an answer. And he's, she starts like howling as he walks away. And that was a little, I don't want to say unnerving, but it was very, it made me very uncomfortable. And then there's also, um, I'm forgetting the character's names, but I think that Scat, he was the other person, the other actor. Perfect. So the scene where um, he pretends to stab himself um, because the woman he is having an affair with 
decides to go back to her husband and mm-hmm. then he crawls up the tree and death starts cutting down his tree mm-hmm. and he's trying to kind of bargain with death and you death's can't, not yeah. having any of it nope. yeah you can't bargain with um, death i liked that scene that was probably my favorite scene in the whole movie um and then at the end if i'm jumping too far ahead when he finally gets home and there i don't have a lot of you know religious knowledge or background so i apologize are they reading the bible at the end i i believe so yes okay where they're talking about like this you know um and then the quote about the lambs right like the um the the seventh seventh seal was broken yeah it's i don't remember what book i think it's from revelations um okay and that is representative i'm trying to remember what the video said because he talked about that too in fact he talked about like that scene with death cutting down the tree it, it was basically they were saying that death is an active participant he he claims he's like the cause of the death versus like in a lot of lore we see the grim reaper show up to take the dead and in this case he's killing the guy you know like the guy's not dead he's cutting the tree down so that he will die and that's um that's a different interesting. Take, so hmm. um and then all of a sudden everyone can see him but they are i feel like they kind of like marvel at him and i didn't really understand that part of it well i mean um i think they're kind of intimidated by him and i i'm still kind of under the mindset that death was a personification for the plague and um that he uh, he actually like when he shows up at the end that it was the the director's way of saying that they all, they've all met with the Black Death and that was something else um, I was kind of surprised that he took them all to his castle because we still have the plague guys it still pops up every once in a while even here in the United States and sometimes I don't think that it's always obvious from the get-go oh they have the plague so i was kind of surprised he took them all to the to his home yeah it was definitely a risk um but at the same time like i think he's been he, traveling well he knew they were all gonna die right like that was in his death had already told him yeah and that scenes. scene where the, the where death checkmates and he's um he knocks the pieces off the board mm-hmm. and death thinks he's trying to like you know get out of the game by disqualification kind of thing like oh it's a technicality you didn't beat me because my pieces fell and he's like, I don't remember where they were. He's not like I, I'm sure it's very obvious. Like I don't feel like I'm making a grand observation here, but that he's trying to save Joff, Mia, and the baby, uh, Mikkel, um, from death. He's trying to let them escape because he sees Joff. Like he seems to know that Joff is aware what's going on, and that's the moment Joff sees that happen, and he's like, All right, let's sneak off, and they live. They get away. They escape death. And that um. Well, we know why everyone else in the movie can see death. It's because they're about to die. Mm-hmm. Well, he was but there for I, them, yeah. Yeah, but I did think that was interesting, having Joff there, who can see it, um, the, you know, and then... Dancing with Death, away. which is a direct reference to an art piece, I think, that they also alluded to early in the film when Johns was talking to the painter. The uh, Dancing with Death was an, like an old painting like from long ago. Um, where's that sound again? Are you you typing? Yeah, I'm trying to look up the Dancing with Death painting. Man, your keyboard is so loud. (laughs) That's so weird. I'm sorry. I'm typing quietly. I'm sorry. It sounds like a horse. Um, Okay. Oh, okay. I'm looking at this painting, and I... Okay. 
and uh so like you know there's that moment where um I, I think my favorite moment was the when they're all eating the strawberries and milk um just because it's it how happy he is and like the speech he gives i just thought was really really like inspiring in a way and a lot of the, the dialogue in this movie is great like there's so much like thought pro- it's thought provoking and yet it's um you kind of sympathize with where he's coming from and like you know if you've ever had any questions about religion or whatever you've probably gone through all of these characters kind of perspectives in some way whether you felt them or you at least were trying to understand them as you were trying to become more attuned to your spiritual side and so I, I just find it like it's such an interesting way to visualize his dealing with things now there is a very negative portrait painted of Christianity of the time period which might reflect his opinion of Christianity in 1957 but there's that scene where uh, Joff and um, his Mia are performing on stage and this group of Christians show up whipping themselves, carrying crosses, um, like, and they are claiming it's the end of the world and everyone needs to repent. We're all sinners. And that's why they're whipping themselves. They're, they're, you know, they're paying penance for the sins, trying to basically, please don't kill us, Lord. Don't end the world. Um, we're sorry. And it's, it's a horrifying sequence, like the way they're, they're chanting and like watching them whip themselves. It's it's rough. Like, what what were your thoughts? Um, yeah, thinking about them whipping themselves kind of makes me nauseous. Um, yeah. But because I can't remember who said it towards the beginning of the film that they think that it pleases God. And yeah. I think it was the painter, actually. That they just go through towns doing this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the painter tells Johns about it. Um, and okay. okay. Like, because that that conversation was very interesting to me when they were talking, and um, I, I really liked the scene where um, where Antonius is uh, confessing. Uh, that sequence is really powerful, especially because he doesn't know he's confessing to death. Um, and a lot of the stuff that he says there is really like you know powerful. Like, um, I want to believe, and it's the fear of of this ending of life just being over that makes me want that like i don't want it to just end i want to know that there's something else and even death doesn't have the answers which is interesting like death isn't a supernatural force as much as it's part of nature you know it's just it's going to happen and he doesn't have any answers outside of it because he's not a part of that he is something else he's a you know it's just there and it's um i don't know i re- i really like this movie a lot it's one i definitely want to rewatch and just to make it a little more movie oriented, um, you know, I thought it, like some of the cinematography was really great. I was really surprised at it. Like, I, I don't know how to explain it, but we've definitely seen those older movies where it's kind of blurry, but everything seems so crisp and so focused. And yeah, the the color like it was beautiful. How did you end up watching it? Um, I rented it on Amazon. So I, w- I wonder if it's the same print that I see because I-, I was watching it's the Criterion, Criterion Collection. Okay, cool. I wasn't I sure how the rent works. Um, yeah, because the the Criterion edition is definitely great. There's a there were a couple of jump cuts that I noticed throughout the film, which um, sometimes that's intentional. I f- I felt like it could have been like just from the restoration, like they they there was like a missing piece of film for a second or something, because um, mm-hmm. it didn't seem intentional. Uh, 
because it didn't jump to anything significant. It was just it just happened. Um, but I really th I thought the the look of it was great. I you know it's in a four three aspect ratio, which was traditional for that time period, um, which is a little disappointing because you know you want it, you want it in it's full HD. Screen. Yeah. Oh. Mm -hmm. And also, oh, I appreciate it a lot. Um, I could see other like this film being made much longer than it was. Mm -hmm. And I really appreciated it was an hour and a half, right? Yeah. I think it was just in the 90 an hour and 36. Yeah. Like right over 90 minutes. Um, and it, it was just, I think it was the right amount of time. Like it didn't feel like it was, it didn't feel too long. I didn't feel like they didn't develop anything like it. it everything felt like it was fleshed out enough. Um, I, I guess I would have liked a little more explanation about the the girl that we talked about, the possibly mute yes. girl. <clears throat> but then again, maybe it's just we're not getting what the point of she, what what her point is. Um, but yeah, I was one thing though, and I don't know if this was traditional of the 1400s, but the baby walking around without a diaper. Oh. <laughs> Right? And how did that mother not get urinated on? Right. But I know. We saw baby Heine many times. Many, and many maybe, times. Maybe that is, you know? I, I just feel like there's no way they were just letting babies walk around pooping and peeing everywhere. Like, they had a, like, yeah, they should have had, like... The cloth diaper. Yeah. Like, I'm not expecting like, pampers, yeah. but I'm expecting, like, you know, something for them to pee and poo in so that it's not just going anywhere. Everywhere. <laughs> yeah. So... But um, yeah, that I was like, I don't, I don't know if, what the deal is with that. First, yeah, it never got normal. But yeah, <laughs> I totally forgot about that. And I have not, I've not checked into the history to find out like when were diapers started. Like to me, again, I just feel like diapers have always been a thing. <laughs> like yeah, from the first time a baby peed or pooped on somebody, they're like, hey, maybe we should cover this up. <laughs> I don't know. My yeah, <laughs> but I don't I know. It... Um, but yeah, I. You know, there were some really good scenes in the movie throughout. Um, I enjoyed it thoroughly. Uh, I like the characters a lot. I like John's a lot um, because he's he's very cynical and, and dour. But yet there's like a there's a he, he takes joy in things like even some things that maybe you shouldn't take joy in. But he takes joy in things. He finds joy. Um, I even like he comes to Joff's aid in the bar, you know, because he had told that guy earlier. If I see you again, I'm going to cut your face. And so he's like, I cut your face. And. <laughs> And he followed through. He did, and he saved Joff. Kind of, he didn't necessarily do it to save Joff, but it, it you know, worked out in that way, because that dude was ready to kill Joff. Right, right. But, um, all right, so. Oh, hold on, I do have a question. Okay. So you know how um, Joff and his uh, family got away. Uh huh. Was it just whoever happened to be with? Oh, what's his name? Our main character. Antonius Block. I think. Antonius Block. It, that kind of makes me think that it seemed with all the other deaths or people that were, you know, approached in the movie by death, that it was, like, predetermined. You know what I mean? He didn't just, like, randomly walk up to your next, you know. So mm -hmm. I'm, like, thinking, did he already, I mean, I don't know how to explain it. Was it just whoever happened to be in the company of Antonius was going to die? Or did he, you know what I mean? My my theory, and I don't know, I've not done any fact checking on this at all. Very bad at verbalizing, guys. Um, he death tells him that your your whoever's with you is going to die, or something along those lines. At some point, that like your whole party's not going to make it. Now they die in the castle. That's when death shows up to everybody. So I think that the people in the castle had 
the plague and them entering the castle sealed their fate that's what i think is supposed to be interpreted okay and um and that's why Joff and his family, because they didn't stay with him, are okay. Um, because they were not exposed. And I've even considered maybe the wife was already dead. Oh. Um, like, maybe we because. don't... Because. Like, like, not in the sense... Like, not that he, they were talking to a ghost, but that... Because, um, like, that was parts of the movie, too. I was, I was like... I, when the movie started, I was like, oh, wait, is he, like, dying this whole time? And the him playing chess is just like a metaphor for his slow, agonizing death. Did he already have the plague? Was he injured in, at war? None of that is this, you know, set out. So my theory that like he gets to the castle, maybe she's already sick, maybe she's already dead, and like that's more of a metaphor that he finds her. Like maybe he found her, but he found a body, and so what we're seeing is kind of. Um, like all of their spirits versus like him finding a ghost is not what I'm saying. But like when we see them talking and whatnot, they're already dead waiting on death to come get them or something like that. Like I'm not sure obviously. And I would love to hear some other interpretations of, of the ending. Um, but, and I thought that Antonius had at least one child. Um, that I'm not sure about. Um, and yeah, I'm not sure. I, it, it, it's possible that the child would have been dead from the plague as well, especially if I'm right about the castle being the cause of like their death, that it is. Because she does say, the wife does say that everyone fled from the plague. Yeah. So I feel like what you just said makes complete sense. Yeah. And, um, all right. So I, I feel like this one's kind of an obvious, uh, the seven seal is a classic, I'm going must-see. Um, it's definitely not going to be something everybody enjoys, but I think if you are a film lover, if you are like trying to become a better knowledgeable of film, this is a movie I think is definitely on, on the watch list. Um, if you're interested in thought-provoking films that deal with something more than the, super, the uh, superficial world that we live in and actually thinks about something deeper, definitely a film that's, uh, that's there. And again, it's, it's technically very well made, um, especially for the time period. I'm also going to must-see films film every time that we write a movie i have to reread <laughs> the criteria yeah i still check mine from time to time yes it's right. revolutionary well that is it for the seven seal review now we have one last thing we have to do before we sign off and that is pick our movie for next week um i pick the seven seal so if Corey has a movie lined up we're going to go with whatever she picks okay john suggested a darren aronofsky film i've already seen a few of his and I'm going to go with The Fountain. Oh, interesting. I just added that to my uh, my watch list today, in fact. Um, hey. And so, good. Uh, I have not seen a lot of his films. I think I've only seen Pi, um, which I watched last year and I liked very much. And I have Black Swan. Oh. I have Requiem for a Dream. And I have The Wrestler. I just have not watched any of them. I've seen part of The Wrestler, though, to be fair. Um, but the fountain I saw, uh, today, actually, if I'm not mistaken, I was watching a, um, a YouTube video of, uh, 10 underrated films of the two thousands and it was on his list. Um, so next week, episode number 33, we will be watching Darren Aronofsky's the fountain. Um, and I wouldn't be surprised if the following week is another Aronofsky film because the, uh, his newest film mother comes out on September 8th, I believe. And if you haven't seen that trailer yet, it stars Jennifer uh, Jennifer Lawrence, um, Javier Bardem. Oh, there's so many people in this movie. I'm forgetting everybody else right now. But those are the two names. 
Um, I think that they are going to be kind of the lead. I am all about Javier Bardem, and I am so not all about Jennifer Lawrence. So Ed Harris, Michelle Pfeiffer, Domhnall Gleeson. Uh, oh, I didn't know Domhnall Gleeson. That. Kristen Wiig. Yeah, so yeah. quite a cast. The trailer, the first trailer was a very big teaser. Like There was like nothing seen at all. Second trailer, Jennifer Lawrence walking around a room. And then you get like some flashes of something, and now I think there's a new trailer where you see more of the actors. Um, but a lot of talk I heard about it. No one's really sure exactly what to expect of this film. Is it a horror film? Because it kind of feels that way in the trailer. Or are those just dream sequences? Are they flashbacks? Are they like prophecies? Like there's so many. It's Aronofsky. You never really know until you see it. From my understanding. Now again, I've not seen a lot of his films, but I know a lot about his style. Um, that he's uh, visually interesting. He does a lot of uh, surrealist almost stuff going on where you're not quite sure what's real and what's not. Um, at least I, I think that's part of Black Swan. I know that's part of Requiem for a Dream, but that's because of the drug use. Uh, Pi is definitely, there's some surreal craziness going on in Pi. Um, but The Wrestler, from what I saw and what I understand of the movie, it's much more grounded in our world and very much in the world of wrestling. Um, and that's Mickey Rourke's kind of comeback movie. That was where everyone was talking about him. So I want to, I kind of want to watch all of these and I might watch a few more um and only do like one more for a movie club which other ones that i just listed have you seen or not seen um i've seen black swan i saw that in theaters um i'm good with that one i want to rewatch requiem because i watched that probably 10 more than 10 years ago um and i feel like that needs to be rewatched but that one is heavy yeah and i remember that and it I've re- wanted to rewatch it for a while, so I have to work myself up to it. I've never seen the fa- uh, the uh, wrestler. Sorry. Okay, so I might watch the other two on my own, and then maybe do the wrestler since neither of us have seen it um, okay. for the week after. But that we're getting ahead of ourselves. Sorry, listeners, you're getting a lot of uh, behind the curtain <laughs> stuff. But we will be back next week to do a extensive review of Darren Aronofsky's The Fountain, and then uh, who knows from there. Thanks for listening, everybody. Corey, thanks for giving up uh, some of your Friday evening. Thank you. And we'll be back next week, folks. Peace. Bye, guys. This has been a Burke Reviews podcast. BurkeReviews.com.